Welcome to the Air Medical Today podcast. My name is Edward Ero, and I am your host for episode 21 on June 14th, 2010. This podcast is part of the Ero Podcast Network, podcasts that inform by focusing on both the news and the people behind the news. Air Medical Today is published throughout the year, and with each episode, we explore news and information, government and policy decisions, historical events, and a specific area of the air medical industry and community through the use of interviews. You can find Air Medical Today on the web at airmedtoday.com and on Facebook and Twitter. The podcast is also indexed on iTunes. For additional information about the guests on the podcast, I also provide background data on my blog at blog.ero.com. Remember, if you would like to become a sponsor and or leave feedback, please write to webmaster at airmedtoday.com or call 206-350-0278. Today's guest is Tammy Chapman, who is the Professional Relations Marketing Manager and Public Information Officer for the Flight for Life Transport Systems McHenry, Illinois base, who will be talking about public relations and marketing. Before I introduce my guest, I want to go over some feedback from episode 20 and cover some recent air medical transport news. I have not received any feedback from episode 20 as yet, but as Steve Johnson asked in the podcast, we really would like to hear from you on EMS and air medical education. I wanted to explain further the issues with episode 19 with Mike Biasetti and his EMS flight crew service. I had the podcast down for about a week as there were some things said by Mike that could have been misunderstood. Taking the podcast down was a hard decision for me, and I consulted a number of colleagues on this because while I am doing journalistic work, I too am part of this aeromedical community and industry. Since I believe Mike is really trying to create a great site, I thought it was better to re-record a part of the podcast and repost, which I have done. Nothing substantially was changed in the interview, and it is now available again on the website and on iTunes. Having the chance to get to know Mike through the recordings and speaking on the phone, I truly believe he is just a straight-talking professional whose goal is communication and safety. If you have not listened to episode 19, I highly advise that you do so. Starting on Wednesday into Thursday morning last week, there were some issues with the interface between the client I used to post to both Facebook and Twitter. I believe it had to do with the API or application program interface, which is now fixed. In any event, I re-entered the post from last Thursday. Remember, I do want to hear from you, so call the Air Medical Today phone line or send an audio file or note to the email address to provide feedback, ask questions, or if you have suggestions for future guests. As I have done in the past, I will be putting selected voice messages on the podcast. Also remember that if your program or service has a Facebook fan page, be sure that it is linked at the Air Medical Today Facebook page. Please just email or call me if it is not. I am always on the lookout for all the air medical and critical care transport fan pages on Facebook so it is easier for others to find you. The sponsorship page is up and you can get it to it by going to airmedtoday.com sponsorship.html or by following the link on the home page. 
To continue all the work I am doing in bringing news and information and the podcast, I need your financial support. So if you can, become a sponsor. Your company or your name will be listed according to the level of support. Let's talk about some recent news affecting the air medical world. As a follow-up on the CareFlight crash, nearly all 300 CareFlight ground and air crew members turned out last Thursday to remember their two colleagues killed in a post-maintenance helicopter crash on June 2nd. Vehicles from more than 20 fire departments and emergency medical services drove under an arch formed by ladders extended from two fire trucks and joined by a U.S. flag in the driveway of Grapevine's Fellowship Church. Their helicopter went down about 10 minutes after taking off on a test flight from a hangar in Grand Prairie. Pieces of the chopper were spread across a field near Midlothian, Texas. CBS 11 News in Texas has been investigating the helicopter crash. OmniFlight, the Addison-based company that sold the Bell 222 helicopter to CareFlight months ago, has had five accidents since July 2009. As a matter of procedure, the NTSB will look into OmniFlight's record and see if there's anything relevant from past events that may be related to the crash. All of the records will be carefully scrutinized. The NTSB investigators will also pay special attention to the major maintenance that occurred prior to the post-maintenance test flight. A statement released by OmniFlight last Thursday said that they delivered a proven, thoroughly inspected, and rigorously tested aircraft to CareFlight. According to the NTSB preliminary report that was just released, the CareFlight helicopter lost its main rotor system just before it crashed. The main rotor mass separated just below the head as the Bell 222U cruised at about 600 feet. Several witnesses saw the tail boom and the rotor system separate from the helicopter. The main rotor system, including the hub and blade, pitch change links, and walking beam assembly remained connected to the swash plate and was found about 200 feet northeast of the helicopter's main wreckage. A swash plate controls the angle of the rotor. The tail boom was found 400 feet northeast of the main wreckage. If the main rotor came loose in flight, the pilot would have had no way to control the aircraft. Mechanics for CareFlight had worked on the rotor system just before the flight and had replaced Keith, an investigator for the NTSB said. The helicopter took off from Grand Prairie Municipal Airport at 1.52 p.m. Central Daylight Time on what was supposed to be a routine maintenance checkout flight, and the first 911 call reporting the crash came just eight minutes later. In healthcare reform news, the federal government has freed up $51 million in grant money for states wishing to bolster their ability to regulate insurance industry price hikes. The move comes after some of the nation's largest health insurers said they plan to increase rates by up to 40% this year in an effort to help defray rising health care costs. All states and the District of Columbia are eligible for the grants, but must first submit to Health and Human Services, or HHS, a proposal on how they will use the money either to strengthen an existing oversight program or create a new one. The massive reform law allots $250 million to qualified states, which HHS expects to divvy up over five years. States will get $1 million during the first round of proposals. 
In May, HHS Secretary Kathleen Sebelius sent a letter to state officials asking them to review their authority to better rein in insurance sector hikes before they take effect. The reform package contains a number of provisions to tighten HHS and the state's oversight of insurance companies, including a measure that dictates what percentage of premiums must go for medical care and another that requires companies to justify unreasonable increases. But HHS has yet to define what is reasonable. In Maine, for instance, state regulators help cut a proposed 18% rate hike down to 10%. If elected president, Indiana Governor Mitch Daniels said he wouldn't hesitate in repealing the current health reform law as long as it's accompanied by a very meaningful and genuine reform of the system that reflects consumers' interests. The Republican governor, who worked as a director of the White House Office of Management and Budget under President George W. Bush and for Eli Lilly and Company, has been pegged as a likely candidate to seek the Republican nomination for president in 2012. He was speaking in Washington at a forum hosted by the Congressional Health Care Caucus the week before last. The governor is a strong advocate for consumer-driven health care, In 2007, he signed into law a bill that enacted the Healthy Indiana Plan, which to date has enrolled at least 50,000 uninsured individuals. For those eligible for the plan, health savings accounts are available to help pay medical expenses. In other news, for the third consecutive year, Aravac Life Team has been awarded the Helicopter Association International, or HAI, Operator Safety Award. HAI provides this award to regular members whose safety statistics for the previous calendar year demonstrate a helicopter accident rate that is less than half the total of the average accident rate of all HAI operator members. Congratulations. The Federal Aviation Administration unveiled last week a $10 million lab called the NextGen Integration and Evaluation Capability, or NIEC for short. The lab will be used by researchers, avionics engineers, former pilots, and air traffic controllers in collaborating on software systems to make flying safer and more efficient. NextGen is a multi-billion dollar federal initiative aimed at updating air travel. Most related research has occurred at the William J. Hughes Technical Center in Egg Harbor Township, Georgia, the FAA's main development and testing site. The Office of Inspector General plans to review the Federal Aviation Administration's actions to address the recommendation of a joint government industry task force known as RTCA Task Force 5. The task force was convened to report on the steps the FAA and industry should take over the next three to five years to begin efficiently transitioning to the next generation air transportation system. OIG is conducting this review at the request of the chairman and ranking members of the House Committee on Transportation and Infrastructure and its subcommittee on aviation. OIG audit objectives are to assess the extent to which the FAA is responding to the recommendations, including adjusting its budgets and establishing mechanisms for continued industry collaboration and addressing barriers that may hinder its abilities to successfully implement the recommendations. The OIG will begin the audit this week. 
Augusta Westland announced this week that Orange of Ontario, Canada, has taken delivery of the first of 10 AW139 medium twin helicopters. The contract includes an option for two additional aircraft. The helicopter is the first EMS-configured AW139 in North America, featuring the Full Ice Protection System, or FIPS. The AW139 is the first helicopter in its weight category to receive FIPS certification. Designed with inherent multi-role capability and flexibility of operation, the AW139 is capable of carrying up to four litters, and four medical attendants in the most spacious cabin with the best power reserve of any other helicopter in the medium twin engine class. The AW139 is the fastest helicopter in its class with a maximum cruise speed of 167 knots and is powered by two Pratt & Whitney PT6C-67C engines. More than 460 AW139 helicopters have been ordered so far by over 120 customers in almost 50 countries to perform various roles including EMS, search and rescue, offshore transport, corporate transport, law enforcement, firefighting, utility, and government duties. What began in 1987 as the Platte County Ambulance Company in Columbus, Nebraska, is now Midwest Medical Transport, and the company is taking to the air with their first air medical helicopter. Completed by Metro Aviation, the new EC-135 P2 Plus helicopter is configured for single-pilot IFR operations as well as night flight using night vision goggles. Based at North Platte's Regional Airport, Nebraska, This addition to the Midwest Medical Transport fleet of ground ambulances will enter service in June and will provide air medical transportation to the residents of Nebraska and western Iowa. Aaron Todd, the CEO of Air Methods Corporation, sold 3,000 shares of Air Methods stock on June 4th at an average price of $32.01 a share. Air Methods Corporation has a market cap of $395.6 million and had an average annual earning growth of 17% over the past 10 years. Orange and Augusta Westland announced the Orange Augusta Westland Endowment Fund for Aboriginal Learners in the amount of $250,000 to address the growing demand for services and skilled Aboriginal employees in the northern Ontario, Canada area on Friday, June 4th. Patricia Lang, president of the Confederation College, where the grant funds will be distributed, says that the demand for health care services throughout northwestern Ontario is growing, and it is goal of the college to meet this growing demand. Confederation College intends to pursue matching funds from the province of Ontario Trust for Student Support, an existing program supporting access to higher education. Students will begin applying for the award beginning the fall of 2011 and can access information through the Financial Aid Office at Confederation College. It is expected between one and three awards will be presented per year. Liberal politicians are criticizing the Newfoundland and Labrador provincial government for moving an air ambulance to Labrador before a medical team to work with it has been put in place in Happy Valley Goose Bay. In an emergency, the plane must fly to St. John's, pick up a nurse and paramedic, then fly back to Labrador. The provincial government said it is hiring a medical team that will be based in Happy Valley Goose Bay, but it may take a year. 
Officials explained that the air ambulance is mainly used for routine patient transfers in which emergency medical teams are not required. There will be more news on this as a lawsuit against the move will be decided in court at a later date. CareJet, an air ambulance operator from Guam, has partnered with St. Luke's Medical Center in the Philippines to establish a dedicated fixed-wing air ambulance in that country. A memorandum of understanding recently signed aligns efforts to procure a medically configured west wind jet capable of long-distance medevac transports throughout the region. The partnership also will seek to create a certification program for getting flight nurses and flight physicians credentials and preparing them for careers in aeromedical transportation, according to CareJet. A staff of experienced nurses and physicians from the hospital will take part in initial training in Guam next month. They will be trained in flight physiology and patient care. CareJet, a subdivision of Aviation Concepts, has operated an air ambulance jet based in Guam since late 2007. Mountain Helicopters Limited, which was established nine months ago in Nepal, is preparing to add an AS350B3 ambulance to its fleet. The helicopter is currently being used by a company based in South Africa. Mountain Helicopters is also preparing to add a brand new helicopter manufactured by Eurocopter this autumn. This is the first time that an air ambulance is being brought to Nepal. The Dorset Air Ambulance from the UK celebrated their 10th anniversary last week. Last year, the program attended 982 incidents, sometimes as many as eight a day, the majority of which were road traffic accidents. Racing driver Jensen Button is the patron, and he has donated a number of signed items to be auctioned on behalf of the service, which costs £3,800 each day to run. The service raises money through its own lottery and its yellow clothing recycling banks, which are placed around the county in the car parks of pubs and commercial premises. The Quincy, Illinois Aravac Life Team pilots and medical crew members have completed night vision goggle training according to the Aravac FAA-approved NVG training program. The crew will be using the Anvis 9 goggles manufactured by ITT Technologies, the same devices used by the U.S. military. The training consisted of eight hours of classroom work and five hours of flight training with goggles. FAA-approved instructors conducted the training, much of which took place in wooded areas in Brown and Adams County in Illinois. The Quincy base has been in operation since August 1997. Vanderbilt Life Flight in Nashville, Tennessee, also has recently added night vision goggle capabilities to their operations. Remember, this and other news and information can be located by following Air Medical Today on Twitter and becoming a fan on Facebook. The Twitter feed is incorporated into the Facebook page. Today I am interviewing Tammy Chapman who is the Professional Relations Marketing Manager and Public Information Officer for the Flight for Life Transport Systems McHenry, Illinois base, who will be talking about public relations and marketing. Tammy has 20 years' experience in the air medical industry. She is the Vice Chair of the Ames Communications and Public Relations Committee and the Region 5 Director of the National Information Officers Association. Tammy has presented on local, regional, and national levels on topics ranging from helicopter safety, 
post-accident incident planning to patient family advocacy. In 2006, she authored the chapter on post-accident incident planning for principles and direction of aeromedical transport. Tammy graduated from the University of Tennessee at Knoxville with a Bachelor of Science degree in 1981 and obtained her CMTE from the Medical Transport Leadership Institute in 2008. She lives in Eagle, Wisconsin with her horse Dante and dog Cyrus. Tammy travels to the western United States to hike and snowshoe anytime the opportunity arises. Welcome to the podcast, Tammy. It is really great to finally have you on the show, as I know we've been talking for weeks, I think if not months, to uh, get you on. Thanks, Ed, for having me, and I appreciate being here tonight. Well, for our listeners, let's first talk a little bit about the history of marketing and public relations, and specifically how that relates to the air medical community. Well, I think, Ed, first we have to take a look at how the air medical industry started, and it was primarily hospital-based programs. And in those programs, the hospitals took responsibility for not only the media relations, but the marketing as well. Now we've seen a shift in that where you have even the hospital-based programs assuming the responsibility of marketing and media relations, as well as the community-based operations who do that themselves as well. Now, is that because they've gotten bigger uh, in in scope, or is it because of the, the nature of the business is a little bit different than what a hospital public relations manager could handle? I think it's, it has multiple facets mm-hmm. in that answer. The first, I think, would be that air medical transport is a very specific type of business. And hospital-based media relations and marketing personnel do not necessarily have expertise in that area. You also have the situation with the economic changes where hospitals are doing more with less and they don't have the people that can do the hospital marketing and media relations and handle the air medical as well. And I think that that the programs, you have situations with consortiums and you have multiple bases and you may only have one program where it has multiple bases and they they need to be able to be responsive to the market changes and responsive to any sorts of media uh, stories that may transpire. And I think the last thing that would be is that our industry in the last five years has taken a pretty heavy hit as it relates to safety and the perception of the public and the media about what it is we do. Are we beneficial? Do we make a difference? And are we safe? And programs have had to face that new reality and find ways to deal with the perceptions that are out there. So there is some specific content area that, you know, you and your position need to have versus someone that's generally for the hospital. Yes, I. you really have to understand what air medical transport is. You have to understand the nuances 
of this business. This is not a cut and dry. You could walk in tomorrow and have command of what goes on. We speak a different language. We act in a different way. Uh, we are very highly reactive because of the nature of the business. And But as, as far as uh, Tammy on a public relations officer at a hospital, I mean, obviously there's some similar training. What would you say are maybe you know, one to three things that are different about a hospital job? And, and is it the public uh, or the stakeholders that you're dealing with that are different? Or uh, can you elaborate on that? I think, Ed, when you, when you look at what a marketing manager or professional relations person within a hospital does versus an air medical person that does that same thing is that the hospital personnel don't interface with fire and EMS and law enforcement and dispatch and other hospital personnel on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. In air medical, in my position, I am interfacing with individual paramedics and EMTs and police officers and ICU managers, ED managers, ED nurses and docs on a, on a regular basis. And I think that is one of the big differences there. And within a hospital, it is more of a big picture marketing, whereas out in the air medical programs, it's big picture, but it's big picture as it relates to their customer base. And then it becomes right down to the individual level. So you're kind of taking a, a, a much narrower slice. I mean, even though it is very big compared to what the hospital is dealing with, because the hospital still has an emergency department, trauma services. So they're dealing somewhat with those people, but you're dealing more specifically on a day-to-day -day basis. Yes, that, that would be correct. Okay. Well, let, let's talk, let's dive into that a little bit. Um, talk a little bit about, you know, exactly what your job description or, or just in general, what does a public relations marketing public information officer do on a, you know, regular basis, even down to, you know, what's your normal daily activities? There, <laughs> there is no normal day. Yeah. You, you may have your day planned out. And you may have had a flight from the night before. You may have a flight that day that brings up an issue that you need to then change your priorities and focus on that particular issue that day and get it resolved. Most of the time, if you look at if what a, quote, normal day would be, it can be anything from meeting with the executive team uh, we do that every other week. Uh, once that's done, going out and retrieving equipment, we we take responsibility for all EMS equipment. When we fly a patient from one um, from a scene or a facility to another hospital, we take responsibility for that equipment. So it may be going there, interfacing with the staff in that emergency department. Um, and then going out, getting equipment, taking that equipment back, giving an update on the patient, checking on how things went with that call, giving their equipment to them, having meetings with, you know, going to fire chief meetings or to 
uh, security meetings, if you have issues with helipads at a hospital or you're meeting with a fire chief because you've had an issue at a scene uh, or sitting down with the customer and just talking to them about what are their needs and how you can work together to come to the same end result because we're all out there working for one thing and that's for the patient. Mm -hmm. I, I, well, I, first, I really like the idea with the uh, equipment return. So in other words, you make that as part of your job to, to pick up the, let's say, backboard from the emergency department there and get it back to the EMS agency or hospital. It's also kind of a, a good lead in and our opportunity to, to follow up with people. Yeah. And you can, you take the equipment back and, and you sit down with them or you stand out right. in the bay and you talk about, you know, what's going on in their organization and how did this call go? And they want to know how the patient did. And if you don't have an update, then immediately you try to get that information while you're there so that they get some feedback about how did it go from your end, from the air medical transport end, but also from did they make a good decision about flying this patient based upon the feedback they get for the injuries that patient had? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to ask you because in, you know, the uh, not too long ago, but, you know, how we used to send out letters and be pretty specific. And then we got into a lot of the risk management and then HIPAA issues with doing that. But in this way, you actually have the opportunity to talk one on one with um, individuals that might have been on that transport or the supervisor. Yes, and, and that is a great thing about being able to go in and interface. Not only are you giving them information and helping them from a QA standpoint and validating their decisions or helping them to learn to make better decisions, you're also there building a relationship. And people do business with people they trust, they like, and they have some connection to. And that is a very important part of what I do as a professional relations manager. My job is to manage those professional relations, be it fire, EMS, law enforcement, dispatch, hospital, whatever it might be. That is my job is to make sure that I, I act kind of as a liaison. Right. I was just going to say that because so... If there's a specific issue that might be clinical or uh, one that had to do with the communications or even something aviation-related, you're the interface back to the program then. Yes, and, and we do a um, satisfaction survey after every transport to the referring agency as well as the receiving agency. And if it's a scene response, we do a survey to the dispatch center that called us as well. And then anything that comes back that is positive or was a challenge, then I function and my colleagues, my two other colleagues in the program function as the conduit for the resolution of those issues or of the, the flow of information between the two. Mm-hmm. Well, I uh, was laughing when you were about, you know, not a normal day, because I know we talk uh, several times in, you know, you'll give me a call and you're on the way back from somewhere. You attend a lot of uh, meetings uh, also as part of your job. 
I do. Yes, I do. Um, I go to the monthly fire chiefs meetings in the different mm-hmm. counties. Uh, I go out and do safety in services, whether that's during the day or at night um, with the volunteer or combination departments. Uh, their training is in the evening when everybody is off of their regular job. Um, I also do patient events, award presentations, I'm getting ready to do a graduation. Um, I do a little, you know, it's a little speech about what it means to be given the the opportunity to be a paramedic and to go out and be a part of someone's most tragic moment in their lives and how important that responsibility is. So I do things like that um, on a regular basis. Yeah. Well, that is, uh, that's wonderful. I, I think part of it, too, is, you know, you have a really great outgoing personality and are, you know, I think really natural with this. Is this something that other uh, folks that you know in programs are kind of the same way? You have to sort of have that kind of outgoing personality to be able to do this type of job? You have to be able to walk into a room of, you know, into an emergency department of people you don't know initially, you don't know, mm-hmm. uh, or into a fire station where there may be, you know, 10 guys sitting around or into a training room with 350 paramedics and be able to be at ease with maybe you know no one or maybe you know some of them or maybe you know practically all of them. And you have to be at ease to be able to speak their language. No matter what your audience is, you have to adjust your language and your approach to that particular audience. Well, Tammy, how, how specifically did you get into this area? I mean, you graduated with a Bachelor of Science degree, so you didn't originally go to school thinking that you were going to do this. What, what prompted you? How did you get to, to this? I was, um, a friend of mine worked for Flight for Life and I, I ride horses and so did she. And she told me about the position. It was something new. And this was in 1990. Hmm. And, uh, I had a need, I I was working as a, a med surge rep and I had a need to be doing something that I felt made a difference. And so she told me about the position. So I knew nothing about Flight for Life. And back then there was no internet. Um, So I went to the library and did a media search and found very little. Um, Tried to find some information, didn't really find much other than what I got from her. Um, Applied for the job and asked if I could go visit the base and meet some of the people. And one thing led to another, and uh, 20 years later, um, I'm still here. That's that's wonderful. You know, I've, I never knew that about you. That's, uh, that's one thing I, I enjoy about doing these interviews, because how often have we talked over the years, and I never knew that, never realized that there was the horse connection. Uh, and was Dante involved with this, or was that before uh, he was around? 
Uh, he was born in 1990, so yeah, okay. He, if, it was B, it was, was uh, say, it yeah. would be BD before Dante. <laughs> okay, so yeah, I didn't realize there was the horse connection there. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Well, is there um, uh, is there a professional organization uh, for public relations uh, officers? They're not specific to air medical. Mm-hmm. Now there there are there's the public relations society. Um, I'm not a member of that, but there's there's the AIMS CPR committee, communications and public relations committee, that um, folks can inquire about joining. Um, so there's not really something specific other than that to air medical transport. But I but I think that no matter what your business is, your issues, even though the subject matter may differ, your issues are very common and they're all, they all have common threads, if you will. They are very much the same. Well, isn't there – I know there's something that you and Glenn Lydon go to – Every year, isn't there? Oh, that is the um, National Information Officers Association, NIOA. Um, That is made up of fire, EMS, law enforcement, public safety, um, different types of uh, public information officers from around the country and Canada. I'm the Region 5 Director uh, for the NIOA, and they host a conference every year. The membership is very, uh, it's very affordable. It's $85. They do a newsletter. Uh, they have an excellent website. Uh, the, the training conference once a year is exceptionally good. And many people look at that and say, well, they're ta- it's a law enforcement topic. Well, it may be a law enforcement topic or a fire topic or an EMS topic, but at the end of the day, all of the issues are the same. And how do you deal with the media? No matter what the problem is, you can learn from someone else's mistakes or someone else's handling of something that went very well. Yeah. So so that is, that is a great organization to uh, become a member of. Mm-hmm. And that, um, I suppose, too, that's a good networking opportunity. Um, Absolutely. Uh, they, they, you make friends at the conference. A lot of, as we all know, you go to a conference, you learn in the classroom, but at the end of the day, it's the networking that goes on at dinner or when you're sitting downstairs where you're sharing stories and information and you develop a relationship. And then when you need some help, or you have a question, you pick up the phone. And I have friends all across the country that are PIOs that when I have a question, I, I place a phone call. And they may, they may not be in air medical transport, but they have expertise in public information. Mm-hmm. That, uh, so, so there's not really a specific um, uh, organization that's for public information officers in general. That's the NIOA. Yeah. Okay. So, but I mean, beyond that, even for like other organizations that wouldn't be uh, EMS related. 
Um, not, not to my knowledge that I have not seen an organization that is specific to fire and EMS PIOs. Okay. And then you had mentioned the CPR committee or um, communications and public relations. And for our listeners, uh, Tammy and I, that's how we got to know each other because we worked on that committee and I was put on that committee because I was an AIMS board member. And when we changed some of our operating procedures, each board member had a committee. So I came in really not knowing a whole lot about communications and public relations. And have, and I can tell you, I've told you this many times, I've really enjoyed working with that committee because it's such a an interesting group of uh, people that have you know gotten together over the years. And I think that too, it might not be specific training, but I'd say probably the big thing is is uh, the networking that it gives you because we're trying to do stuff for uh, the Association of Air Medical Services. But you know, you share things about your program. I know you might even want to talk about that um, marketing thing we did for many years, where people come in and share stories on how they did things. Yeah, at the Air Medical Conference, AMTC, which will be held in Florida this year, in Fort Lauderdale, the there's a best practices lecture, and typically three to four members of the CPR committee will come in and give a 15-minute presentation on a best practice that they do in marketing to try to share some of those ideas with other programs so that that program, whoever the folks are in the audience, can come in and listen to that and take some of those ideas back to their own organization. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've always enjoyed the programs. And then remember, people would share some of their materials and we'd have people moving around and that was uh, a, a lot of fun. I, I learned a lot myself. Well, let's talk uh, a little bit more about some of the specific practices uh, of professional relations or public information today. And w- what are the specific things that an Aaron uh, medical or critical care ground program uh, can do today? One of the big things, Ed, is social media. That is an area uh, a lot of people get afraid. They're scared. They don't want to get involved in that. Uh, They think it's for young kids, Mm -hmm. for college kids. But actually, the fastest growing segment of the population is the over 55 that are using, utilizing social media, meaning MySpace or Facebook or doing blogs. I mean, all you have to do is go on and search, you know, you could, you could enter in air medical blog and it would come up with numerous hits on what programs are doing out there. And, and in the fire service, many like LA fire, they utilize Twitter, they utilize blogs, they disseminate information about what's going on in their organization on calls, on fires, on public safety information via Twitter, via blogs, via Facebook, whatever it might be. And that is something, I mean, I didn't want to do that because I felt like, oh my God, this is going to take a huge amount of time and I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. And because of you and your help uh, w- to for me so that you helped me to kind of, you know, step across that 
that pond. <laughs> and I was able to um, start a Facebook page for Flight for Life. And part of the reason that I started it sooner rather than later is because we had a young man who decided to make a Flight for Life group on Facebook. And I was watch I was told about it and I did some searching and found that he had like, you know, 600 fans. People made the assumption that that, that group was an official Flight for Life group. And so because you can't make them take it down, they can do whatever they want. They can say whatever they want. We decided we got to get into this right now. And so with your help, I sat down one weekend last May and put together a page. And it, it seemed really hard at first, but really it's not. And I update that page every day, twice a day. Um, and we are close to 3,100 fans. We get a lot of positive comments. I've only had to take one comment off. And it was a young man who um, was inappropriate in his language. But it wasn't, there's never thus far been anything negative about the organization on there. To the contrary, it's been very positive. We are able to interface twice a day with many of our customers. Most of our fans are former patients, their families, and our referring and receiving agency personnel. Yeah, well, I, I remember when you contacted me because you knew I was exploring that with the uh... Air Medical today, and I think that is a uh, an issue. I think Facebook's tried to address that with um, what they're now calling these community pages, so that the official page is always the the organization. Um, but I know you you handled that well with because it was a younger kid that had started that, right? I mean, I think he yes. was, it was it was all in good. Uh, you know, it was all positive. It wasn't a negative thing. And, no, uh, there was nothing negative he, he put in there. But, you know, we needed to take charge and right. control of our image. You know, the biggest thing is your reputation. And it's your reputation as it is in written format as well as what people see when you go out into the public, right. what they see your personnel do. And it's your logo. It's what's written about you. It's, it's, it's how you act, you know, when you have that uniform on. And we felt that we had to step up and take charge of this before someone else decided to take charge of our brand image. Right. And, and you say, I help you. I helped you maybe with some of the nuts and bolts of it, but you've really taken off with that, Tammy. And I've told you that and I've told many people because I follow a lot of the pages uh, that are on Facebook. In fact, I'm constantly doing searches and adding them onto the Air Medical uh, Today site so that people can link to them. But I love your posts. I mean, and that's all you're doing. I mean, you do stuff with, uh, I think, quotes kind of of the day. But you also talk about um, educational programs that you have going on or um, patient-specific, I'm sure, with their approval types of things. And it's, it's good newsworthy type stuff rather than just, you know, chat about stuff. I mean, it's, it's really 
very good news information that I think people want to hear and that are interested. Well, in our organization, we are very much focused outwardly. It is about the patient and the customer. And what we try to do and on our Facebook page, in our newsletters, on our website, is we want to focus on the people that are most important to us, the people that allow us to do what we do each and every day that we love. And so that's why, you know, just yesterday, one of my battalion chiefs retired after 30 years. I went, I took pictures, and I posted a couple pictures and congratulated him from our organization. If, if we go out and do a patient event and there's a wonderful story in the newspaper, I'll hook that link to our Facebook page because on Facebook, you must link your information like a document or a story to a website. You can't just attach a document to a Facebook page. And so I do that to once again highlight the people that make what we do possible mm-hmm. and and give safety tips. You know, if there's something going on, uh, you know, National Heart Month or Stroke Month or wearing bicycle helmets, things like that, it's, it's focusing on trying to... Um, make sure that the folks out there know about those things. If we have educational opportunities, like you said, we want to let people know about it. And other people that are offering educational opportunities, we want to let them know about that as well. And and how has Facebook really helped you augment stuff that you were already doing? I mean, because you still do press releases, you still do uh, gatherings with people, training programs, getting patients back together, uh, you know, with program. How has that helped augment those things. And can you talk about some of the things that you're doing? Um, Last year was our 25th anniversary, and we have carried blood on our aircraft since day one, and we continue to do that at all three bases. And so we went on Facebook and said, we're having the 25th anniversary, here are the dates, hook it to our website, and we're doing a blood drive because we want to give back Mm -hmm. to the blood centers that have generously given us blood that we've in turn been able to use to make a difference in the lives of some of the patients we've transported. So we started to collect former patients off of Facebook. We started to, to get people to sign up for the blood drives, and we met, we exceeded our goal for our three bases total. We got over 300 units of blood. Wow. And that's just a small thing. When we do a conference or, you know, we've got a speaker going out somewhere because education is part of the mission of our organization. We actually, I'll post that on Facebook. Uh, We did a safety coin which the sale of that helped to support our night vision goggle program. And I put information about that on Facebook. And we had people who were who wanted the coins, who got the information they wanted, and we were able to uh, sell those coins to, to augment the night vision goggle program. Right now, we're in the process of doing three blood drives, one a month, 
for the next three months. Mm -hmm. And we're going to do that on a yearly basis. And we are getting folks to sign up off of part of it is off of Facebook and, and people ask questions, you know, you have people that'll ask a question about how old do you have to be to donate blood? And I can immediately go in when I get come home and go on my computer and say, Hey, 16 years old, if your parents signs, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and things that people will ask, well, who do I contact for this? I'm able to do that. If I'm doing a patient event, I have a big event next Thursday to honor. We do a scene call of the year award every year for one for a full-time department and one for a combination department at each of our three bases. And the department that won it's a huge honor for them. And, and so I post that on Facebook and we have invited the, um, two, it was a dual scene and we have invited the two young ladies that were transported. And so they're going to come and their families are going to come and all the agencies involved will have representatives there that night to celebrate this department winning, but also to celebrate that those two young girls have gone back to school. One of them just graduated high school. And it's because the system works. We're, so we're able to give that positive information back out into the community. The media monitors our Facebook page. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Um, so they're picking up stories. They're picking up things that we're doing. Wow. And one of the things that that we did this year that we've never done before is in conjunction with the blood drive, we're doing a T-shirt quilt. Each quilt from at each base, there'll be three of them, are different. And um, there, there will be only one of a kind. And if you donate blood, you get a raffle ticket. And if you want more than one ticket, you buy them and the money goes towards our night vision goggle program. And I had a, uh, I was doing an interview on the scene call award and the reporter and I started talking about the quilt. Well, now they're going to do a story about this quilt and about for the McHenry base, the woman that's making it is actually a paramedic at one of our departments that's been very supportive of our organization. So there, there are a lot of things that you can get out that are very positive, very educational and very informative to the public at large as well as your providers that you couldn't – I cannot touch 3,100 lives in 30 seconds. Right. And I can do that on Facebook. And, and I've – of course, I follow your posts uh, – you were talking about like a retirement or something. That's a nice way to honor somebody because you can, mm-hmm. I, I know you take a lot of pictures. You can come back that evening, post up the shots, you know, thanks, you know, for all the hard work that they've had over the years and what they've meant to flight for life. And immediately it's out there um, on the internet. And immediately, yeah, yeah. And immediately people that know this person are congratulating them and, and, and making very good and positive comments about their lives and their career. Yeah. So in the past, you might have done some specific things like sending thank you notes or maybe sending them the pictures, but it just didn't have the same reach. Or maybe you would have sent that as a press release um, to the media and hope that they would 
would put it up, but now you're actually controlling that and the media is following you. Yes. And, and the other night we did a, an, a presentation and there was a member of the media in the village board meeting. And then the very next day I'd posted all this stuff on our Facebook page. The very next day she called me for a story because of that interface. Yeah. Are you seeing, have you counted, do you think that, that you're actually getting more media attention because of the Facebook page? I think that, and, and the fire departments and the rescue squads are seeing this and law enforcement agencies, that you're making your own news. Yeah. I don't have to put a press release out and hope they pick it up. I can actually, you know, take a flip video do a little video segment on night vision goggles, post that up on YouTube, put something on the Facebook page, link them together, and the media can go on. And if they want to use that footage because they don't have reporters or they don't have cameramen, you're making your own news and you're giving them what you want them to have. And that is huge. Because we've never had that opportunity before, and now we do. Right. Let's talk um, a little about the, maybe in general, and maybe not just um, having to do with social media, but are there some uh, specific things um, that maybe haven't worked uh, or maybe would be what you'd call a, um, you know, disaster type of thing on, on what you've seen people do as far as professional relations for an air medical pro program. I think that this is just a personal feeling that I have is that when you do things within your community and you make them about your organization, you have a greater chance of coming off negative or become or coming off as, oh, well, it's all about flight for life and they don't care about us. They're the most visible and we're just the lowly volunteer uh -huh. fire department. So what, what we do as an organization is we make whatever it is we're doing in the media about the organizations that support us, the hospital or the fire department or law enforcement. And I think it is a mistake from a program standpoint if they don't look outside their, your needs will be met when you look to help others meet their needs. And you'll get recognition, maybe it's secondary recognition, but Doing something that gives an organization other than yourself recognition and helps them to meet their goals and needs will indirectly benefit you. Yeah. And to focus just on your organization um, can be detrimental. And I, I think that that can be, that can turn around and backfire on you. Well, that's such a, a, a very, very good point that you're sort of outwardly focused rather than inwardly focused. And it's not just all about the air medical program. And it's easy for us to get that way because, you know, you get the new helicopter, you get the new fixed wing aircraft or the new ground unit. 
um, you know, you want to just talk about that or all the training that you have. Uh, but it really is about uh, who you're working with out there. And, you know, Ed, it's you can focus on, hey, we have night vision goggles now. Yeah. But what do night vision goggles do for the people you serve? Yep. Yep. You know, it, it doesn't allow you to fly in bad weather, which is my number one question I get. It allows you to do things safer. And when you are safer, that affects your patient, your community, and your referring agencies. Mm-hmm. And that's how you have to position yourself when you have new technology or when you're doing something different. What are the benefits to the people that you serve? Right. And what, what you know, not, like specifically the night vision goggles, what does that mean for an EMS agency? What's the added capability that you have? So, And in really probably showing them, having the opportunity that they can see what it is and... and we did. We have a customer service advisory board. It's made up of representatives from different agencies, law enforcement, fire, EMS, hospital, and dispatch. It's multidisciplinary from the, from, from the territory of our three bases. And we brought them in just recently for the – we do a meeting twice a year, and we act on the things that they – they give us information about, you know, suggestions and they ask us to look into things and to research things. And can you do things differently? And we got this idea from Clinton Burley at HealthNet in West Virginia. And Clinton came out and helped us to set up our first customer service advisory board. And one Mm. of the things that we did, which was incredible is we brought in our uh, program aviation manager and one of our pilots and two pair of night vision goggles and we took the board members two at a time like going on the arc if you will into a dark room Uh, we took them in obviously in the light and and put the goggles around their neck and let them hold them up and we turned the lights off and we let them look through the goggles in the dark, and then we said, okay, take the goggles down and look into the darkness and let them see the difference between having goggles and not in a completely pitch black room. Then we used a little tiny light and let them see that at the end of the room and then put the goggles and look through the goggles and You couldn't have done what we did with those people. You could have talked about that all day long. But when you show them, they get it. Right. And that's something we're going to do at our um, conference that we do every year is we're actually bringing some folks in and bringing the goggles in and letting the attendees look through them to see the difference. That's that's an excellent way to, to show that. That off, I've been through that demo, and it is absolutely amazing. As you know, right when they were first coming out or being used in the air medical world, and it is, it's, uh, and if your customers understand that, your board members, you know, key stakeholders, they um, can really support uh, the program and what what that does as far as your added capability. So, we actually did that at a board meeting as well. So that they would understand mm-hmm. the financial commitment and what it means in terms of safety 
yeah, it's a lot of money to spend, but but look through these goggles and you'll see what a difference it 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 does change night into day. Yeah. Well, let's talk um, because you're doing a lot in this area, and I, I, let's call it patient-specific events where you're engaging past patients and bringing them into the organization. And I I know you've had uh, reunions. I've been at uh, conferences with you where you've brought uh, patients with you to... uh, to speak and 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 be a part of the the air medical community and talk about their stories. Tell us how that all started and what specifically you're doing. We do events where, for instance, you are a former patient, and I'll go out. I'll contact the patient, talk to them, and we kind of get some feedback before we do that. That you know the patient. shouldn't have lived, but they did. They went on to lead a productive life. They have a very positive feeling about what transpired with everything involved. And so I go out and collect everybody that was involved in that patient's care, from dispatch to law enforcement to fire to EMS, receiving hospital, um, rehab, um, all those people that 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 system that brought this patient back to a useful life. And we bring the patient in and their family and all of these individuals. And we let each of those folks that were involved in this patient's survival stand up and talk a little bit about what it is that they did to bring this patient to where they are today. And we then let the patient and their family stand up and talk about their experience. That's incredibly beneficial to the providers because all of us are only involved in that very short amount of time with that patient, that critical phase. And even the folks in rehab, once they leave rehab, then what happens to them? And to see the fruits of your labor walk in the door when the last time you saw that patient, Mm. they could not walk is very powerful. And we, whatever the department was that, that we did the scene with, Flight for Life does a plaque from that department and Flight for Life for this patient to honor their commitment to recovery and to survival. And it's very emotional. And many times we have pictures from the scene and I get pictures from hospitalization. I get, you know, even if they went to a nursing home, you know, that process. And, and I, sh- I put together a presentation that shows what they went through. And it helps the patient to have closure. Not every patient wants to do that. Not every patient needs to. It's not appropriate for every patient. It's those special patients that are miracles. Yeah. And it is a, it, there is nothing that you can do that will make you feel better about what it is that you do for a living and, and the time and the energy and the blood and the sweat and the tears that you spend to stay educated and keep your skills to what nothing more powerful than seeing that patient and seeing where they are. Yeah, it's such a wonderful experience for, for really the caregivers 
um, you know, and, and that's got to have a huge impact on them as they continue their work um, and with the patient and, and really putting some closure on some things of, you know, they might not have even been aware. They could have been unconscious, you know, and uh, the impact that that staff had on, uh, you know, their survival even. And you're right, Ed, and, and it... <sighs> It helps you, you know, the economic times are tough. You know, everybody does more with less. There's a lot of things that are negative all around us. And to bring in something that is so positive and so powerful, it renews your commitment to what you do. Are you doing those... um specific to each patient or do you have some general reunions that you do or are you doing both um i do the specific we do specific patient events at all three bases Mm -hmm. and we also do when we have our anniversary celebrations we bring in former patients Uh, we actually did a video dvd last year with special milestone patients, our 25,000th patient who is a medical miracle is getting married on Saturday. Oh, geez. And she, two of our folks are going to her wedding. She invited our folks to come. Wow. And she was in this video. And I, I, I know you have a copy of the video. We, we did a video for the anniversary, yes. but then we, then we asked any patient or their family in the audience to stand up and share if they would like. And, you know, we have families that come that the patient did not survive. And they come because they want to say thank you. You did, you gave my mother, father, sister, brother, grandma, grandpa, whoever, child, the best chance at survival. And sometimes, you know, no matter what you do, that patient is not going to survive. And they come and say thank you, even though they don't have the person that they loved with them anymore. Mm-hmm. So to answer your question, we do both patient-specific and then um, uh, anniversary-type uh, events as well. Yeah, I know a lot of programs do the the anniversary you know, the sort of the large anniversary where they invite people back. But I, I like uh, your patient-specific because that makes them, it's all about, you know, them and their particular, uh, you know, accident or injury or illness and bringing those people together. So those must be extremely powerful, as you said. And, you know, one of the things that we do, I have a system, you know, a whole process that that we use for these types of events, but we provide a letter to the department that had the call that they can customize to their local, uh, to their village board or to their legislative representatives in the area so that they come and understand where their tax dollars are going or where they might as a as a senator or representative that they could be of benefit to fire EMS law enforcement whatever it might be they see the fruits of the labor and see why it's important to support certain types of initiatives um and and that and then we also, you know, get to the media and 
we do joint press releases with the agency because we want it to be about them. Mm-hmm. Um, once again, I mean, I can't stress that enough that you have to remember the people that you need to bring the, the focus on. And that's the agencies that, that, are, that are placing that phone call. And, and you, you've touched on this. Um, you've been a, a, a big advocate of making a lot of the national um, news or public relations about the patient, too. And you've, uh, as I said, brought um, former patients to uh, the conference um, just recently, the AMTC conference in San Jose. Um, but more importantly, you've put some stories, I know, on the Ames website, and especially with, um, you know, as a community, we struggle. There might be some good localized stuff or maybe even regional, but not so much on a national basis. And it tends to be fairly negative, especially when there's a crash. And I know you've been pushing that. Um, Talk about that a little bit and why you feel that's important. You know, we spend a huge amount of our energy going day to day. You know, putting out the fires, making sure everyone has their, you know, gets their clinical time and gets their education and that we have our safety committee meetings and all of those things internally. And at the end of the day, there's not much time and energy left to make sure that everybody on the other side of the door understands what it is you do and understands why it's important. And why you want to support, you know, Medicare reimbursement for air medical transport. Because on one side, you're having people like Brian Bledsoe say, you know, you don't need air medical transport. It's not safe. It doesn't make a difference. And then on the other side, you have the program saying, well, yeah, it does. But you can't just say, yeah, it does. You have to let the people that have had the experience say it for you because they have nothing to gain. Mm -hmm. And that's why I went to Washington, D.C. to the Ames Spring Conference, and two of our former patients went with me, and they paid their own way. And they went with me on Capitol Hill, and they said, here are our stories. And the reason that we're here today is because we want to make sure that this type of service remains something that that doesn't go away, but that it maintains safety, that, you know, you you give them the tools to, to be safe, but you don't say, hey, this doesn't work, it doesn't do any good, don't do reimbursement. Those guys said what I could never say because they have no vested interest. And that's important. We we think that people ought to know what we're doing and why we make a difference, and we don't tell them. And you can't tell them once. You have to tell them a thousand times mm-hmm. why it's important. Because and- the attention span is very short in this country. And well, and, and what better way than right from the person that was impacted? So Yeah, because you or I can't say what the patient can say because we haven't experienced it. Right. Well, that's uh, such a, a, a good uh, initiative that you're doing, Tammy, and really 
appreciate that on behalf of the whole community. Well, I know we could uh, talk for hours, but uh, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners about uh, professional relations and public information? I think it, probably two things that don't be afraid of social media. You know, uh, Air Life of Denver has a has a nice Facebook page, and they do a blog, and they did a tremendous blog post for EMS Week that I actually took the link to and put on the Flight for Life um, Facebook page. There, maybe you don't want to do a Facebook page. Maybe you want to do a blog. There's ways to connect Twitter to Facebook or to connect blogs to Facebook or, or whatever. And you are the guru on that, not me. But don't be afraid to step out there and just, you know, you eat an elephant one bite at a time. So take one thing and do it and get good at it. Yeah, in social media, you have to be fresh and always update. And as it relates to the media, make your own news. Yeah, well, that's what uh, you know. Lee Ozzy from Mayo said that was his. uh, I think the biggest thing I gained from talking to him is why wait around for the media to pick up stories? You can make it, and then they'll start following you, as you as you said. So. uh, I think that's a a real good point. And I know you were, as you said, apprehensive about getting into it, but you've really honestly taken it to a a much higher level with the types of things that you're doing. And I think it's just you and the stuff that you are already doing, but, you know, using that tool. And, And I'd really suggest that, you know, for listeners that haven't done that is, is to take a look at it. All you have to do is fan, um, any of these pages, fan uh, the Flight for Life page, and you'll you'll see what uh, Tammy's doing and the program's doing, or fan some of the other pages, um, and you can see some of the effective ways that that people are using it. So, well, Tammy, thanks so much for uh, being on the podcast, and um, I appreciate you taking the time or recording at night because I know you're so busy and to try to catch you in the car on a cell phone it's pretty difficult to, to you sit down <laughs> and uh, Cyrus didn't bark in the background there so it must be things must be calm he's um, taking a nap okay uh, you must have had him out for a good walk mm-hmm. um, but uh, I also want to thank you for agreeing to be a regular contributor to the Air Medical Today podcast uh, on this area of professional relations and public information because I think we'll, you know, we'll have you back and do shorter segments on some, you know, interesting stories and things that uh, you've uh, found out about or or want to talk about. So I appreciate that. Well, thanks a lot, Ed. I appreciate being asked to be on and I look forward to coming back on. And I also look forward to having some of uh, our patients on with me because I think that they have some great stories to share. That might be the, our next, uh, next time that we have you on, that'd be a good way. So, well, thanks again, Tammy. Thanks, Ed. Have a good night. You too. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Air Medical Today podcast. Please come back again and also subscribe to future shows by visiting the website at airmedtoday.com or on iTunes. Information about the Facebook group and Twitter account can also be found at the website. Remember, if you would like to become a sponsor and or leave feedback, 
please write to webmaster at airmedtoday.com or call 206-350-0278. Please continue to keep the CareFlight team and family members in your thoughts and prayers as they deal with their tragic helicopter crash. Special thanks to Stanley Reeves of Room Tunes for providing his song, Track 5, for use as the theme song of the podcast. Stan's work can be found at RoomTuneEnterprise.com. Take care and fly safe. Thank you.